Welcome back to the Data Doesn't Equal Outcomes podcast, where your host, Tristan Keelan, and his guests explore everything about data, from culture to metrics to telling quality improvement stories for the human side of analytics. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Data Doesn't Equal Outcomes podcast. I'm your host, Tristan Keelan. Uh, with me today from Grand Mental Health in Oklahoma are Larry Smith, Chief Executive Officer, and Josh Cantwell, Chief Operating Officer. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Really excited. Awesome. All right. Well, in order to set the stage for the meat and potatoes of this conversation, um, can you give our, our listeners a little bit of an overview of Grand? Kind of uh, what you're up to, your layout, um, you know, what does operations look like uh, at Grand Mental Health? We, uh, we operate in 12 counties in Northeast Oklahoma. A uh, population of about 480,000 people in those in that 10,000 square miles, and we also just became a CCBHC and added Tulsa to our catchment area, which is a, a uh, metropolitan area in Oklahoma with a population of about 680,000 people. So we we are uh, growing rapidly and have a lot of people to serve. Josh, you want to add anything to to, to that, all of that? Yeah, so we're we're a certified community behavioral health clinic, and that's an important designation for this conversation. So uh, it's a CCBHC uh, designation that came to us from a federal demonstration that started in 2017. So prior to that, we refer to ourselves as a community mental health clinic. And when we this conversation and we're talking about this outcome-driven care that we're providing, it really is culminated from this philosophy of what it is to be a CCBHC. And so that that is kind of the spirit behind all of the things that we do that's woven into to everything. So we are a CCBHC. We don't do CCBHC. That's a, an important, an important uh, differentiation when we start talking about the things that we've accomplished over the last few years. Uh, yeah, Excellent. also, Justin, I want to mention the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, our, our partners, has made uh, all of this possible without their support uh, and the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health uh, ability to recognize that this is a, uh, the CCBHC is a good model because the whole state of Oklahoma now is underneath the demonstration model. Originally, there was only three of us. It was Grand, North Care, and uh, Red Rock. Uh, and so now the whole state is every community mental health center has become a certified community mental health center, which puts them at a different designation and a different reality of, of what their job is in the community. Yeah, and that's a growing model, right? So that's going to be um, important. We'll talk specifically um, in a little bit about how the CCBHC model helps facilitate some of this. Um, but let's jump in. I want to talk about crisis care and how you've been able to marry that with technology. Um, but first, can you kind of lay out for us uh, a little bit of the data? What were some of the numbers behind your, your crisis care in your catchment area that made you take a step back and say, we got to find a better way? Josh, go ahead. Yeah, it really, it, it started with uh, needs assessment and us looking at some situations that were unacceptable. So really, when we're talking about the data and the numbers, uh, 2015, we had 1,115 of the individuals that we worked with across our service area went to the highest level of uh, mental health 
care. So they went to inpatient hospitalization. Their civil liberties were taken away from them anywhere from five days to sometimes six months while they were stabilized and put us in a situation where we knew that that was not the appropriate level of care for all of those individuals. We had to come up with a way to stop that from increasing year over year. And that's where we started to focus our, our efforts. We started to focus our efforts on those specific individuals that we thought if the right things were in place could be treated at a, a much less restrictive level. Yeah, and so I remember in uh, 2015, we also only were in seven counties, not 12 counties. We expanded into the other five counties after 2017. So this was just in the uh, population of about 280,000 people that we were looking at this uh, at this issue of people going to inpatient. We knew that that uh, we figured out how people got to inpatient. Basically, uh, we we were in a situation where police officers would come upon someone, and they had a couple of choices. One, they could take them to the emergency room to be evaluated for mental health, or they could arrest them. Those were uh, those were about the only choices the police officer had, and so one one of the first things we recognized is that uh, police officers are not necessarily trained mental health professionals, and so uh, we knew that we had to come up with some technology that would allow a police officer to have us, you know, virtually a a therapist in the car with them at all times because we knew we couldn't afford to put a therapist in the car with them, and we knew that we couldn't afford to have them all go get a master's degree and two-year supervision to become a therapist. So so the thing is that we had to figure that out because, and and, uh, and and so we started looking at technology for an answer for that. And in order for that technology to be answered and a place for police officers to bring somebody, we realized that we had to create a crisis or an urgent care facility where police officers would have an option to bring them to us until, instead of taking them to their emergency room. Those are the two pieces that we really started focusing on in 2015, 2016. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we, we created an app uh, that's called the MyCare app now. And uh, the, that app was uh, put on an iPad. Uh, and that iPad was put in a single app mode. And we uh, put those in every police car in Northeast Oklahoma in our seven counties originally. And uh, and that virtually gave them a virtual therapist that could help them at any time. All they had to do was push a button on the iPad, and they would immediately connect 24-7 to our therapist that we had working in our urgent care and crisis centers. So that, that, model, that model started this whole thing of, uh, of, of technology being used by police officers in the beginning uh, to, make, to help them make a decision of what should happen with this person and bypassing the emergency room. And the outcome of that, which really surprised us, was a 93% reduction of people going to the emergency room and to the inpatient. So so that's a tremendous savings when you think about the dollars. And, and we didn't do it for the dollars, we did it for to keep people in the least restrictive environment and uh, started with an outcome in mind. The outcome is where we always work as, uh, at Grand Mental Health is we always look at the outcome in mind, and that's where we move toward. We put our resources to make an outcome happen, and we do rapid change uh, in CQI as we're making that process, going through that process. Josh, I know you have a lot to say about that because you were a big part of all that happening. 
I think it starts with the, the philosophy. And, and so as we've, we've taken on this responsibility, we decided early on as an agency that we were going to start looking for reasons to say yes to solving problems rather than excuses as to why it wasn't our problem to solve. And so when we took that approach, we, we, we began looking at what was preventing us from doing that in, in the what were the reasons why we weren't always being successful with the um, achieving the population level health outcomes that we that we found so important to us and we and we discovered that we had all of the components to the equation we just had them kind of mixed up and and what was happening was not just with us but with most people in this field we were starting with the um, resources so if we if we take it and we really look at it like an equation you've got your resources you've got your process and you have your outcome and what happened was we were taking those resources and we were treating them like a known variable and we so and they were it was it was our it was our financial resources and our um uh, people people resources and we were taking that as a known variable and, and and then the problem was we were also taking that process as a known because we were coming to the to the problem with uh what we thought we already knew a solution that we'd already been trying to use uh for a long time and then what that left was the the true the true variable was the outcome and so we would apply the resources and the process and then we'd be like well that didn't work <laughs> the outcome wasn't what we wanted and so we just kind of flipped that on its head and it seems very intuitive but what we did was we took we changed what our known variables were we we, we made the knowns our resources and the outcome and that outcome became non-negotiable for us so we started looking at what that meant was the the wiggle room the unknown was the process and so when we took those resources and laser focused them to create the process you can't fail if you do it that way because you adjust within those processes until that outcome meets your expectations. And by applying that simple principle to every problem that we have now, that's what Larry was just talking about. So, so we, the problem that we were trying to solve was early on, we knew that if people made it to the emergency department, the likelihood of them going inpatient was really, really high. So what happened was you get there and that all the people that were impacted by that, so so let's picture the whole system law enforcement officer would come upon somebody they would uh, they would say okay this person appears to have um some kind of mental health situation taking place well they're they're not the experts they're going to get to who they think the experts are which is let's get to the hospital so they get to the hospital well they have to stay there though so so then you've got a law enforcement officer tied up with the hospital staff who truly aren't the experts again and so they could be there for when they had time because remember they've still got physical health needs coming through their emergencies coming in. So they could be there for four hours and that's a good outcome, but they could be there for eight hours. They could be there for multiple days and multiple shifts. So you're in a situation where you've got law enforcement mad at us because we are the experts. You've got hospital staff mad at us. We are the experts. We're, and we're here saying, man, this, this process isn't working. So we knew the first thing is we could, we could solve a huge portion of the problem by circumventing those emergency departments. So if we could keep people from going to the emergency department, so we had to give them a couple options. We had to give them a good answer for an assessment and us laying eyes on an individual before they went in, and then they had to have somewhere to go because it wasn't good enough for us to just assess and they still go to the emergency department. So that's when we had to open up these facilities 24 hours a day as an entry point into the system because you're going to hear some similarities to what we've been trying to do. So the, the, the model is, it's about increasing access. When we boil it down to its essence, it's about increasing access, and you can do that about three different ways. It's the speed by which somebody is able to receive services. 
it's the adequate locations for people to receive services and it's enough people to provide those good high quality services and so it's us filling in those gaps of care that previously existed that's all that it was and so we choose to fill in the gaps of care but it was it was a gap of speed that we filled because we're able to get them connected with a licensed behavioral health professional immediately. So when we're talking about quick access, it's immediate access. As soon as they knew they needed to talk to somebody, law enforcement that is, they hit a button, instant access every time to a licensed behavioral health professional who is an expert who can say, it appears this person is best suited for this level of care. You go here now. They're on their way. There's no waiting. And usually it's to us. They bring them to us, and then the next level of the, the next gap that we filled was what that level of care was. The level of care being somewhere that's not outpatient because that's not going to meet their needs. Okay, outpatient's too low level of care, and not inpatient because that's too high of a level of care. What are those gaps? And so we systematically started filling those gaps in with levels of care that met their needs. They can bring them directly to us, and then. As they, this is an important part of this because we kind of, we, we, Larry was talking about what that final outcome was, that 93% reduction. A lot of people were thinking during that period of time that um, when we started, we started seeing some reductions in inpatient. And so the logical conclusion of the layperson was, well, you're just treating them in the crisis center that you opened. You open an urgent recovery center, you're just treating them there. It's the same person, they're still not at their house. It's the same numbers that are over here. You just traded places. But that's not the case because we knew early on in order to make this a lasting change, we had to figure out a way to get those individuals direct access to us, not through law enforcement. That's not the gold standard. The gold standard isn't law enforcement being called every time they, somebody needs to talk to a licensed behavioral health professional. So when they left our crisis centers, we gave them an iPad also. So clients began leaving our urgent recovery center with an iPad. So that meant during that critical period of moving from that higher level of care to an outpatient level of care, they had 24-hour support by the very same people that they were receiving treatment from in that facility. And so that meant that as the numbers went down from inpatient care, they also were going down at that same trajectory of crisis utilization. So both of those levels of care were decreasing at the same time. And one important part before I throw it back to you and Larry is during that period of that huge reduction, so we were cutting it in half year over year, we acquired our population doubled. So left to the previous model, those numbers that we cut by 93% would have doubled. And so it would have been an even more uh, disparaging statistic that you would have seen. Yeah, so you're managing outcome improvement numbers at the same time that your overall client served is growing. So you have to make sure that, you know, the improvement's happening relative to the, your scale of growth. Um, that's important when we're looking at the data. But I want to take a step back about the technology. Um, you developed the app, correct? Yeah, the app was developed... Uh... Some people call me the grandfather of it, but I, I don't. I don't like to have that name. I'm too old, for that, <laughs> or too young for that, maybe. But uh, but the app was developed because we saw a need, and we started trying to figure out how to meet that need. And with technology, uh, it, it it made sense that technology was going to be the answer or part of the answer to this problem. And that that app has grown tremendously. We uh, we developed it, and then we gave it to a company called MyCare. 
and we gave it to them. We, we didn't want to get into the computer business. We wanted to stay in the behavioral health business. And so we gave it to them, and they have now developed it to the point to where we got about 10,000 iPads in clients' homes, and we can see the client in their home, schedule appointments, schedule, uh, and, and they can call us anytime that they need us, which is what car, which is what reduced the number of people uh, needing a police officer to come to their house and uh and getting services through that process so and and uh so as we as we uh as we started using the product we found many uses for it uh more than just the police officers it's now in libraries across our communities mm -hmm. it's in uh, some of our uh, quick trip our not some of our uh, uh stores uh and libraries and museums where people with uh, the hang out and where, where a mental health episode could happen. And it gives us the ability for a, a librarian, for example, that has somebody that's starting to maybe have an episode or has some strange behaviors that they're questioning. They don't have to question whether it's a mental health problem or not. All they have to do is push that button and we'll take it from there. So, so those are things that we, we found, not just with police officers, but with the community itself. As a CCBHC, we treat the people within the community, and we also treat the community. Uh, we try to make the community a better place to live and uh, and try to uh, resolve issues before they happen. It's all about going upstream, really. You know, I, uh, I, I, I know this is about technology, but, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with is a, a large homeless population now in, our, in, the, in the United States, and, uh, and, and I don't see the homeless population as a crisis. I believe the crisis happened upstream and nobody dealt with it and they became homeless. So, so I, and, and so it's a part of the crisis, no doubt about it, but it, it's not the beginning of the crisis. The homeless population uh, and what we're dealing with, I believe can be treated upstream and uh, stop some of that. No different than we stop an inpatient by treating it upstream. No, no different than we treating other things that we're doing. So, we're really excited about the potential of technology uh, in the in the behavioral health field. So we're looking at you know incredible numbers in terms of crisis reduction, right? Both uh, at initial um, entry going to hospital ERs, but also in sort of that recidivism model, um, all because of this point of care access through the technology. So you've got all this set up, but you had to set it up before you could see the savings. So there's an investment here. How are you able to, quite frankly, fund this level of hardware that you're distributing to the community? And where does where does the CCBHC model help facilitate this type of innovative thinking? Well, really, in 2015 and 2016, when we first started with the iPad, we were not a CCBHC. The CCBHC. Uh, allowed us to get cost reimbursement for the services that we're providing, and and uh, and that that uh, that that cost report that we do, these iPads went in there in 2015 and 2016. We we were borrowing money. <laughs> we 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 actually went out. Our board of directors was willing to risk, believing in us uh, and believing in this system, and willing to risk. And and we uh, we spent a lot of money that was. You know, we could have went away just as easily as we could have become uh, nationally known for some of the work that we're doing. So it was a big risk, and and one that that uh, that you know our board of directors were willing to take. 
uh, and and allow us to move forward with this type of technology by giving it to a technology company. It reduced some of our expenses because then they they had that expense in the development of it, uh, but they also did a risk uh, because there wasn't there was nothing proven at that point. Uh, with the NRI report, which which tells us we had a ninety three percent reduction, came at a later date, and uh, but we knew that we were making a difference in people's lives, and that's that's where we were focused. That's where our board was focused on our communities, and uh, and it paid off. I mean, we we were very fortunate uh that a, a good idea could come from anywhere but this one just happened to be a very good idea that we were mm-hmm. able to take and do uh studies on and make sure that it was working and the cqi on this process uh as we built it out and it's been a very uh very useful and a very go ahead josh yeah i the sustainability piece we talk a lot about timing being everything when it comes to implementation so this this idea you know and larry larry's being humble with where some of these ideas came from but the the foresight having someone to kind of read the tea leaves and have the foresight of where the um you know this industry was going and some of the opportunities that ccbhc opportunity it presented it the idea of it presented um, a, a lot of opportunity, but there was a lot of risk because of the unknowns, especially we went and I don't want to get too. you tell me if this isn't something we want to talk about, but I'm going to tell you right now. We went we went with the PPS to a prospective payment system to model. And what that did for us was put us in a per member per month capitated rate payment system, which the CCBHC is based on this cost reimbursement, which everyone knows you can't survive on cost anyway. It's so when we when we look at what this per member per month opportunity did for us, it, it let us focus on outcomes. And so what we knew was if we could find a way to achieve great outcomes that showed a return on investment, that we would then be able to sustain this model. And so that's philosophy. But but in order to do that, in order to create a cost report sufficient to sustain growth and innovation and new programs. You have to go at risk because you don't start with that spend being sufficient. So when Larry's talking about the board of directors and and his his it was his insight and foresight to what the PPS2 model could bring. He was influential in the state deciding Oklahoma deciding to be one of the two states that went with the PPS2 model. That's the piece that we knew if we could get to that place, we had interventions and we had ways of doing business and models to to implement that would result in these outcomes so larry had he understood it he had to explain it in a way that other people understood it he had to gain support and then from there the sustainability is that we are paid on a cost reimbursement basis so if the things that we're doing yield outcomes that are less expensive than the money that they save to our state and our federal government then they are sustainable and that's what we see because by doing this we're taking thousands of calls tens of thousands of calls a month right now we're saving i mean I, and i may be jumping the gun a little bit but we're, but we're saving tens of millions of dollars to payers through this uh, through this model because we're treating people so early in the system it's it's truly really a 
a, a very preventative model of providing this care. And Larry says it all the time, but I'm not stealing his thunder. This is, this is if he wore a t-shirt, if he had a, like a theme t-shirt, this is what it would say. We treat people in the least restrictive environment, which is also the least expensive environment. And that's what we do. And so by, by implementing this model, that's exactly what's happening now. People are being treated. The outcomes are there, but the, the money is being saved. And so the cost now makes perfect sense, not just to us, but to anyone who looks at it. It's always it's oh, a no-brainer no when it's in sustainability mode. But you had to take like an entrepreneurial risk. You and your board of directors uh, chose to bet on yourselves um, and bet on the benefits of the community. And, and, and this is what we have the show for it, which is, uh, which is fantastic. Um, Josh, I'm wondering if we can do a, a quick little piece here. Um, we're, we're talking about iPads. We're talking about police officers have them. Let's talk about what that crisis call now looks like. like can you kind of, you know, walk us through kind of like there's an iPad, but like how does the encounter look um, in contrast to what a previous traditional encounter might have looked? I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna tell you much more than that because <laughs> so again, I'm gonna start philosophically, and I and, and I, that's how we we start a lot. But philosophically, it's this idea of unbridled access. It's this idea, and Larry spoke to it really well earlier. It's this idea that we don't want anybody to think community members, law enforcement officers, other first responders, individuals that have these machines. We don't want people to have to think any any beyond. I may possibly could maybe have a situation where mental health treatment is uh, warranted, and they hit a button. That's it. They hit. There's one button. They hit the button, and then we take it from there. So that's the first piece: is unbridled access. We want these things all over the community because as soon, the sooner we get involved, the less likely that someone is going to go to jail, go to inpatient hospital, uh, go beyond this idea of uh, manageable crisis at any given time in these lower levels of, of treatment. So first of all, we take that philosophy. And then the other piece of this is there's so much more. We gotta be careful because we've done this conversation in, in a lot of different um, forums. And what happens is we, I, I see light bulbs going off and they're like, I see people and they, they'll be like, just buy an iPad. That's all we got. All you got to have is an iPad. But this is the thing. There's so much that has to go into it because the worst case scenario for anyone that thinks they're going to increase access through this model is not having the infrastructure built to be able to answer every call within three rings. Because I'm telling you right now, you are going to people that are resistant to change. You're going to people and asking them to carry a device that's beyond the things they're already carrying, a, a plethora of different devices, and you're making promises that the first time that you don't follow through with that promise, I've never seen a network where information travels any faster than law enforcement agencies. And so, so I've, we've seen people really shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to making these promises, thinking they have the infrastructure down. So we had to make sure that we were in a situation where we followed through with what we said we were going to do every single time so we have a we have the highest answer rate in the state of oklahoma i don't know how that compares to nationally because it's a kind of you know unique model for for oklahoma specific but we when i'm talking highest the quickest answer rate the only calls that we're not getting is if somebody it's if somebody doesn't um follow through with that call hangs up if after it rings a couple times but for us again we're looking at it we're measuring it and that's important to us that we're answering the call every single time what it looks like now Law enforcement officer comes upon somebody on the street. They, they again, 
They don't have to be the expert now because there's no, there's no wrong door. They pull out their device, they hit a button, and they say, here, talk to somebody, talk to a professional. And the person will take the iPad or they can turn the iPad around. We will start to do an assessment. If it appears that this person is going to be in a situation where they are good for our, for our uh, site, so, we could, so, so we'll start making a final disposition right then. We could say this person seems to be in a situation where if they've committed a crime, it's not our choice, but it, it may be that jail still could be the right place. Okay, not often, because remember, we're doing 93% diversion from anywhere. So not often, maybe 1% of the time, okay? Maybe less than that. It may be that they've got something happening where a health condition is still warranted. The ER could be the best place still. Not often, because remember, 90, 93% diversion, it's usually them coming to us. So what we say is, hey, start coming our way, leave the iPad with them. So when they're on their way to us, because most of our places now, we've been working really hard to complete this network. We want a facility within 30 miles of every law enforcement headquarters. It's, it's just a metric that we've chosen to um, network our area with. And actually, the state of Oklahoma told us we should do that. This is the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health, which helped us make that decision. But we've really bought into that. So they'll start driving towards us, and we can do the assessment on the iPad. But just recently, in the last two legislative sessions, we are actually doing the transportation now for law enforcement officers. So We've made it so easy that still sometimes they choose to drive because it's so quick. Otherwise, they're going to have to wait for us to drive to them from our location, but they have an option now. So we say either start coming this way, we'll complete the, uh, we'll complete the assessment, or we continue to do the assessment while they're, um, they're stationary, and we drive and pick up that individual, and then we bring that individual into care at one of our urgent recovery centers where now we have multiple levels of care there too. So we have the urgent recovery center level of care, which is kind of that entry point. It's really made, it's 23 hour and 59 minute assessment is what it's made for. And it's a triage. It's to either stabilize really low need crisis situations, get them to outpatient services the next day, or move them up to a structured crisis center level of care where we have the ability to have more, um, observation on them and implement medication management and things of that nature to get them through um, to get them through. So those are the people that may still have an emergency detention order status tied to them. But then we're moving them through. We have about a 36 hour average day at those locations. Some people are staying more than that. We've, we've had people, we don't release people to homeless. We don't release people to street homelessness unless it is their direct desire to be released to street homelessness. So we've had somebody with us, we were having a really difficult time placing that stayed for six months at one of our facilities because we were having a really difficult time um, finding adequate housing for that individual. But now, every time we're able to provide a final disposition for them very quickly via that device, get them back to doing their job and circumvent the ER in most situations. So the ER bed's not being taken up by somebody who could be better treated in another environment. This person is not moving to jail and they're not moving to an inpatient hospital bed and law enforcement officers, very minimum time is linkage. Linkage to an expert is all that they're responsible for. And then we're taking it from there. So, so what we saw is police officers have a very dramatic, uh, they come up on many traumatic situations, uh, car accidents, someone's killed in a car accident, a child's killed, there's a shooting, there's a, they, they see a lot of, they have a lot of trauma done in their way every day. So we added a second button on that iPad, and that's a button that a police officer can touch 
uh, after uh, at any time and kind of debrief with a therapist and is is a chief of police. Nobody else will ever know about it. That button is a very personal button for a police officer to be able to debrief uh, and to be able to to be able to talk about what's going on with them personally uh, prior to going to another stop or prior to going to another situation. And and we we uh, we we saw that as because police officers were also dying 25 years younger than the normal population. And the suicide rate is pretty high. So we wanted to make sure that they had access to us as well as the people that they're helping. Uh, so you're really serving everybody in the whole situation. Um, uh, one final question uh, for both of you. So you've got this, I think it's fair to say at this point, wildly successful innovation um, that's driving incredible outcomes. Um, but it doesn't come without hard work and, and plenty of learning. Um, what do you wish you knew when you set out on this journey that you didn't know um, that you know now? Well, there's, there's always that that piece of everything of what you don't know, right? Uh, and, and what you learn. Uh, we, we believe that we had an idea and we believe that mental health had to change. The stigma of mental health had to change the, the way that we do mental health had to change. And so, so we, uh, we learned a lot. I mean, it, it was a learning process and, and there's a, there was a lot of CQI done, continuous quality improvement, where, where we would look at a situation and say, okay, this didn't work out the way we wanted it to, or didn't come as well as we, so what do we need to do next to make this a better system for, for our communities and for the people that need our help? So it, it, it uh, it's, it's what we didn't know. We, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't know that, that we were going to, the CCBHC demonstration model was coming along for one thing, or we could have moved much quicker, uh, but we didn't know that. But when the, when the demonstration model came along, it fit perfectly in this. We didn't know we were going to go into a pandemic in 2015 and 2016. Uh, by the time the pandemic hit, hit, we were well prepared and ready for the pandemic, even though we didn't know that we were going to have a pandemic. We already had iPads available out in the client, out in the community. So people didn't have to come into our clinic to receive services. They could receive them over a video, uh, iPad. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, we, we learned that connectivity is very important, uh, with our data plans because we furnished a data plan and AT&T uh, came out with first responder. We didn't know that was going to happen, but when it happened, it was great for us because we didn't have to worry about, uh, that connectivity happening around in rural America. Uh, where you're down around the lake and you push a button and nothing happens because there's no connectivity. So, and we, and we didn't have to do different. Uh, uh, I don't hear Larry talking still. Uh, so what I'm going to tell you is that I think that we're in a situation where if we would have had someone to mentor us through this, um, the, we, we value CQI and rapid change. So we, we, we try to fail fast. We try to make sure that anything that's not yielding the results that we're wanting that we're not married to any idea at any time and so we adjust quickly if if i was giving someone advice starting this i would tell them start with a population that you know is low-hanging fruit when it comes to undesirable health outcomes right now and so it's really going to be your highest risk populations and you, you start start small and so you start with a population that you know you're going to be able to have quick results and quick um quick positive 
validation of this program and then also increase funds based on the ROI that you can show people and then start parlaying that into other populations. And we, we did that, but again, we did that by trial and error. We did that because of necessity, not by, it was, it was by design eventually, but at first it was because it was the only way that we could find to make it, to make it work. And now there is, I mean, there's a proven model to follow. And so I think that if, if you feel like, what do we wish we knew? We wish maybe there had been a path to follow. And so, mm-hmm. so this, it, 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 we got there, but there was some stress involved in it. I'll tell you the other piece that was probably the, the one of the, um, heaviest lift, the most, the, the less intuitive of, of these processes are going to be the asset management piece and mm-hmm. considerations for um, when you're building something, because when you hear 10,000 devices, that's a significant lift when we're talking about populations that aren't, they don't work for us. Usually we're managing assets related to people that work for us, that we hold their paycheck. Well, these are people that we're serving. This, so it's mm-hmm. a whole different conversation when it comes to um, the diplomatic way by which you ask for a device back that's not being utilized and going to someone's house to get a device that's no longer being utilized. And remember, you've got times when people don't understand that this is in a single app mode. When they see it, it's this beautiful brand new device. Well, this is, it's got a single purpose. It is a mental health machine that can't be used for anything else. So when somebody pawns it and someone else buys it, it says our name on the front. They call us like they're mad at us because their iPad doesn't work. So then we have to go out and figure out ways to get those back into our um, into our rotation. So I think that that's a for us um, as far as learning curve. That asset management piece took us a while to develop those processes, even additional products to manage those assets and the people to be able to do that for us. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so we're gonna wrap this conversation up for today. Um, Rapid change, fail fast, um, innovative thinking, story that led to 93% reduction in, in inpatient visits for Grand Mental Health. Uh, my guests today have been Larry Smith, Josh Cantwell from Grand Mental Health. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us, and um, we'll leave it there. Appreciate it, Tristan. Thanks. Thank you.